Hello everyone, my name is Christina Banita. Ed Voices is coming to you today from Krakow, Poland, where educators from 18 countries on four continents have come together for a conference on Holocaust education, hosted by ZNP, one of our affiliates in Poland, and organized in partnership with Education International affiliates in Germany and Israel. And I'm here today with uh, Andrew Bader and Kate English. Thank you guys for coming. Thank Our you. pleasure. Because you have ex- very mm-hmm. extensive experience with teaching the Holocaust mm-hmm. and in, the, in your native United States, but also abroad, mm-hmm. where you've done a lot of projects in terms of teacher training. Yeah. So, uh, Andrew, you are a co-founder and board chair of the Educators Institute for Human Rights. Correct. Yes. So this is a Washington-based NGO whose mission is to provide Holocaust and human rights training to teachers around the world. In the past 10 years, you've worked um, to provide professional development to educators in Rwanda, Bosnia, Cambodia, and the United States. And Kate, you are the executive director of this organization Mm -hmm. since 2016, full-time since 2019. And Andrew, you are also a regional education coordinator for the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. You've helped educators in the United States connect to the Holocaust. And most notably, you did that through the I Am Syria program that you co-founded in 2012. And the Teach Human Rights website um, that you've chaired with the American Federation of Teachers um, EI affiliate in the United States. You are also a proud member of AFT. I am. As I am. you mentioned uh, in the conference this yes. past few days. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, and we really appreciate the opportunity to talk about these important issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're absolutely essential. Yeah. But uh, you've had very, very extensive experience um, yeah. with the Holocaust in, in your career mm-hmm. and in the classroom as a teacher, but also you, you took it further, you took it beyond the classroom. Can you tell us a bit about uh, how you got there? Sure. And also, what are your main recommendations? Because we had many participants mm-hmm. at this conference really interested in, in not let, letting the lessons of the Holocaust mm-hmm. sort of disappear and go to, go to waste. Yeah, you know, your, your question is a really good one. And for me, I, I think I'm so passionate about the power of teacher training on the Holocaust and human rights um, because I, I, my path was made possible because of it. Um, it I always share with people a small anecdote about a, a teacher um, who was a family friend years ago in the early 90s when I was student teaching who casually asked me, what am I, what am I doing about the Holocaust and what am I teaching about it? And growing up in the 70s and 80s, um, there wasn't that much of a conversation, almost nothing in the United States. Um, so he recommended that I take a, a training at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum mm-hmm. in Washington. I did, and it was sort of this, you know, mental explosion that went off for me that um, my life and profession as a teacher is is something that is far greater than who I am and just a, a, the day-to-day lessons that we normally think of. Because when you look at the history of the Holocaust, Christina, very quickly you realize that it's the most important subject we can teach yeah. uh, across, across the curriculum. And I say that with all respect to the amazing, you know, science teachers yeah. and, and math teachers. Of course, these, these are all pillars of civilization. Mm-hmm. But as the, the history of the Holocaust really shows us, especially with the Wansei Conference, that 
the final solution was planned at. And out of the 20 participants that gathered there, the, the high leaders of the Nazi leadership, so many of them had PhDs in engineering and mm. science, but they still didn't feel a problem, you know, planning a genocide. So to me, that underscores the importance of not only reaching kids' heads, but also uh, softening their hearts and eventually getting this material into their hands, which we'll talk about in a bit. But from that comment, um, I went on to uh, attend several conferences at the, at the Holocaust Museum in Washington. That's where Kate and I met. She had a similar path. And, and from there, uh, a light bulb went, out, uh, went on in both of our minds that uh, teacher training is at, uh, the, is, is not to overstate it, but I will, <laughs> it's the future of civilization. And whoever trains the more teachers first on this topic will win. And I want that win to be on behalf of civilization. Mm -hmm. Because history shows that under specific situations, and unfortunately we're in one of those contexts right now, um, populism and nativism and xenophobia will will rear their ugly heads. We have to be prepared for it this time. And we could see it coming. Um, But from there, um, we went on to form this uh, organization called uh, the Educators Institute for Human Rights, um, where we try to empower teachers around the world with these messages as, as we've been empowered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, what you just said reminded me about um, one of your remarks from, from yesterday when you spoke about the perfect blueprints for mm-hmm. the Auschwitz camp that we saw mm-hmm. during our visit mm-hmm. and how well-designed it was, and it was engineers working on that and knowing what they were building, and mm-hmm. and all of those things. I remember the cans of, of gas, mm-hmm. and the tour guide mentioned that the German com- company that was producing that gas knew perfectly well what it was sure for. Did. Yeah, sure they did. So yeah. it's it's exactly what yeah. what you said. You you begin to wonder. Okay, you have engineers and you have architects and you have doctors because Mengele was a doctor. Sure. You have all these people who are highly educated, but the education lacks lacks heart and lacks a, a spine and morality and, and, I, and I, ethics. I think those are messages that we don't really communicate as much as we should to mm-hmm. Holocaust educators because it's not just you know for citizenship. Of course it is. But uh, when you look at that whole architecture of the Holocaust and how it happened, um, as you said, it was engineers, but it was also bankers that, that yeah. counted the money. It was you know thousands of secretaries and administrative professionals that transferred the mortgages uh, from victims over to the Third Reich. Um, and of course, it was the power of media and, and propagandists, artists, um, you know, and today, and let alone talk about, you know, the communication networks, uh, mm-hmm. the, the census takers, um, it, the list could go on and on and on. In short, all those professions are sitting in the rows of our classrooms every day. Absolutely. And it's important uh, to the future of the world that we connect this important history to those minds. Because it's not just a, a citizenship issue. Of course it is. Mm-hmm. It's a professional issue. And, you know, making sure this material seeps into the pores of the kids we teach. Absolutely. One of my favorite examples of the, the opposite of what you just described is, um, is in recent years when the um, genocide was taking place in Darfur. There was a group of engineers. I want to make sure we give them mm-hmm. some, 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 <laughs> sure. some positive reinforcement here. A group of engineers that were thinking, you know, how do we bring our skill set to help mm-hmm. solve this problem? Mm-hmm. 
And they read that the women um, would go to fetch firewood to, um, to heat the water and make dinner and things like that. Men couldn't go. They would be killed. Women would, and I'm putting quotation marks around this, only be raped. Uh, and so that was the lesser of evils. Mm-hmm. Um, the engineers figured out how to inexpensively and lightweight make uh, camp stoves that mm-hmm. were solar. Whoa. So that meant nobody had yeah. to go get firewood. And so engineers and all of the other professions can absolutely, not only do we want them to understand it as citizens, but they can, mm-hmm. they can take action. They yeah. can be part yeah, of... Absolutely. They, can, they can think of creative solutions to, to problems involving human rights that, that, frankly, as an English teacher, would not mm-hmm. occur to me. So yeah. we're ready no, for that. This also connects with this, this trend of uh, having standardized tests everywhere and only mm-hmm. valuing the, the knowledge that you can measure in students. Mm-hmm. And that sort of forces teachers to to teach specific things, so their 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 students can pass exams and go go on with their lives and their uh, studies and all that. Mm-hmm. But it lacks or leaves very very little room for exactly this sort of thing, which dictates la- later on how they will use those skills, to which end. And and that's entirely true. And you know, so it, it's. H.G. Wells said it best that civilization is is a race between education and catastrophe, mm-hmm. you know. So, and I, I going back to you, to your comment on the standardized testing movement, uh, the biggest casualty of that has been civics education worldwide, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because now in retrospect, now that we can fortunately see that a little bit in the rearview mirror, um, you, when you look at what at that time period could have been. It could have been a, a paradigm shift to make sure that all sixth graders in the world are getting training on democracy. Mm-hmm. All seventh graders in the world are getting training on citizenship. And eighth graders around the world should be getting the warning signs of fascism. Yeah. Um, we know how democracies get corrupted. It's political science. It's mm-hmm. established fact. Um, so we should be doubling, tripling down on the subjects because certainly the rise of the Internet competes with our voices and unfortunately, that you know, we're losing that battle right now. Yeah. But from all your experience, what are your recommendations for other other educators around the world? Well, I, I think you know, especially for um, our educators in EI who have one foot as a unionist and one foot as as an educator, I, I have several recommendations. Um, first of all, that what they do matters, mm-hmm. and it's it's an all hands on deck moment right now battling uh, far-right extremism around the world. Um, and, you know, so for them uh, to use their power and for the union leaders that are listening to this podcast right now, what can you do right now to establish teacher training on human rights and the Holocaust education, climate change, all these things come together? Yeah. That's the first recommendation. Conferences mm-hmm. are important. They change lives, all right? And they pass the ball forward to teachers who have yet to be born. So the second recommendation you know, I have um, deals with, you know, to just staging these conferences and the numbers involved. Um, you know, it, it's something we don't talk a lot about, Christina, with, you know, with teacher education. But where, where I teach in Buffalo, um, we can teach in New York, we can teach up to 150 students a year. Mm-hmm. So let's say you stage a, a conference on the Holocaust and human rights, or climate change, whatever the topic is, and you have 150 teachers there. They, they, in turn, teach 150 students a year, just that year alone. 
So yeah. the amount of lives that are influenced by that event mm -hmm. can quickly fill up a large sports stadium that year alone. And some kid in that audience is going to be a future teacher. And it has that ripple effect that is so powerful and so important. And that was one of the reasons that we, we wanted to uh, start the Educators Institute for Human Rights. Um, because we realized that we couldn't teach this material fast enough. Um, and when you look at the, the war against teachers that has happened all over the world, like physical schools being blown up, yeah. um, the, the darker forces in our societies get the power of teacher training. Um, but the question is, do we? You know? mm -hmm. And um, you know, this is where I think you know, Kate's work um, leading conferences with our staff on three continents has been really important. Um, and uh, you know, we look forward to talking about that. Yes. Yeah. Actually, Kate, you just told me a bit earlier about something you were extremely, extremely proud of that is very heartwarming and it's, it's the result of many years of work and actually a very interesting idea. So tell us a bit about what you do with teachers on other continents. Well, when Drew and Mark started EIHR, it was a workshop in Kigali, Rwanda, mm -hmm. where they partnered with Aegis Trust at the Kigali Memorial Center to hold the first workshop. And out of that came teachers who wanted to, to take that training further. I think at first we weren't sure what was going to happen. One workshop and then what happens next, but it turned into teachers starting their own workshops in the, in the provinces with their teachers back in their home schools. Uh, and we've been going back there in one form or another every year since. This past, um, this past well, a week and a half ago, I was there for our most recent training. And one of the participants, uh, we invited three participants to come from the neighboring country of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, uh, where the warning signs are very loud right now. And one of the teachers was so impressed with our sessions on anti-Semitism and awareness that the International Holocaust Remembrance Day was about to take place that he went back to his village in Butembo and he and his students put together their own observation of International Holocaust Remembrance Day within a week of the training. So now, as, as Drew is talking about that exponential factor, mm -hmm, exactly. we've, we've not only reached these teachers in Rwanda, but now it's growing in the DR Congo. And there were about 40 students in a picture that he sent to us. They'd made a banner. Uh, and, and It was just, a lovely picture. Just to see it was the, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, just to see their faces yeah. and the enthusiasm that he had brought mm -hmm. back to his community as a result of that conference was uh, deeply moving. You go to regions that have seen their own... I would say Conflicts that and violence. We, we, much like what's been um, discussed mm -hmm. here, um, the Holocaust is a it's such a it's such a critical event for so many reasons. There are multiple ways that it speaks to conflict, to other other crises, yep. uh, and for us, we we know what we can bring to a conversation with teachers in in countries outside of our own is that initial training about this common history we can all refer to. And sometimes it's new, and sometimes it's familiar, but we're learning mm -hmm. more. And that becomes a kind of a Rosetta Stone, a yeah. way of talking about the things that we can't talk about. So in some cases, it's very difficult to talk about the current history, but we can talk about the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. and Or we can talk about a genocide in another location. And that gives teachers the opportunity with their students, and even in their communities, 
to, to start a difficult dialogue, have the tools to, do, to look at how to do it in a thoughtful, supportive, mm-hmm. um, productive way. Um, and we're really proud of that. We're really proud of the work that they've done. to, um, to And they, they feed each other. We had our, our Bosnian team lead did a session via Skype for our Rwandan teachers. And that just having them hear each other talk about things like testing. Yeah. Right. Uh, and how that how does that affect their ability to cover this material? Same conversation you were just expressing. Mm-hmm. We had uh, between these teachers who are coming from post conflict areas. That is that is absolutely amazing. So you you've worked in in Bosnia, you've worked in uh, Cambodia, Rwanda, the United States. Are you planning to have uh, workshops in different countries, more countries? We would love to. To do teacher training wherever anybody will bring us. Okay. Uh, there are different missions in, in different places. So, for example, in Bosnia and in Rwanda, there's a, what we look for is to develop partnership. We want more people on board, more teams forming to do the work. And mm-hmm. uh, and so they're de- not only are they doing teacher trainings, but they're developing curriculum that can be shared. Oh, okay. So Rwandans creating curriculum from their own history that can be used for Americans, can be used for Bosnians, mm-hmm. and so forth. So it becomes a network of support, a network of materials and training. Um, and as, as I meant, alluded to a moment ago, we definitely would like to see the work in, in East Africa start to expand into, yeah. into the region beyond mm-hmm. the borders of mm-hmm. one country. And the same thing is definitely true in Bosnia and Herzegovina. And so we, we supply the Holocaust, educa- Holocaust education component to these mm-hmm. events. Then, as, as Kate said, we rely upon the local partner countries to supply the history of their own country's human yes. rights successes and, and yeah. not-so-successes, <laughs> yeah. if that's a word or a phrase. Um, but in the process, we, all, we also train teachers how to stage conferences for the teachers in their region. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, the magic happens. Um, and, you know, it, this, this is something that in an age of, of um, uh, climate change, that you know, people don't really appreciate enough. In our own country, there should be teams of, of teacher trainers in every city, small and large in the United States, every week. It should be a world tour of teacher education that's going on right now that educates teachers on how to approach this, and not just science teachers, uh, you know, English teachers, social studies teachers. There's so many components um, that deal with the warning and implications that deal mm-hmm. with the warming of the planet. And, that, you know, and that's a, a, a slightly different subject, of course, but it, what binds them all together, Christina, is the power of teacher training to change yeah. the world. And um, that's a message I also received from this great organization in Kansas uh, called the Lowell Milken Center. And I was a teacher fellow there as well. And, you know, they, they really emphasize the power that we all have to change the world, but especially with teachers. And, you know, in, in our situation in North America... Most teachers will have the influence over two to 3,000 lives. That's really profound. And as teacher trainers, we, we have this big responsibility uh, of training thousands of lives. And it's something that we don't take lightly. Um, and we realize that, you know, and, but again, to start to your first conversation, we are the beneficiaries of teacher training. We personify it. We, we're, now we're considered experts. We weren't 20 years ago. And now that, I mean, the task has, at hand is, is very daunting in a way because you're looking on social media. Lots of people, including uh, young people, uh, students, are taking their news from Facebook or Twitter. And, you know, all that happened, Cambridge Analytica. 
advent of fake news and alternative facts that is extremely scary and uh, is a major throwback to Hitler and his uh, propaganda machine. So how does media literacy fit into, into all of this, into Holocaust education? As you, you said, you know, propaganda was the mechanism that hate was transferred. So now let's imagine the mind-blowing concept of Hitler with Twitter or, you know, the Nazi party with Facebook or the Hitler youth um, with Snapchat. It would right. look very similar to some it things that we It would look a lot similar today. to yeah. today. All right. So, so how do we combat that? Well, for right now, in the past five years, I mean, Twitter and Facebook really came... Um, into prominence in 2007, 2008. So it's been, in effect, roughly 10 years. Let me give you an analogy of a, of a prize fight, a boxing match. Not that I'm a boxer, all right? A 15-round match. The bad guys have won the first five or six rounds, but that doesn't mean they're going to win the match, all right? So teachers and society has been caught flat-footed of the speed and, uh, and velocity that hate has spread and conspiracy theories have spread. And we need to prepare our teachers for how to respond to those. Um, and we also need to plant the mechanisms uh, socially on a broader context um, that, pr- that provides speed bumps for this to happen again. And we're starting to see that with Twitter, you know, banning mm-hmm. uh, political ads. Facebook yep, yep. hasn't responded as favorably. But this is a broader co- social context that mm-hmm. teachers have to play in. Um, and with teacher training, you know, to have a conference on media literacy. Um, you know, I, I don't like using the term fake news uh, because that's yeah. been corrupted. But to make our students media literate, to know that, you know, there's darker forces out there trying mm-hmm. to recruit them, I think is, is priority number one. I would right. hope that, that, that through education that what students would start to learn how to do is, is to apply critical thinking. Mm-hmm. That their first reaction isn't to swallow something whole. Yeah. That it's to question the source to question the, the, the facts that, that are part of mm-hmm. whatever content they're reading, that, the, um, that both um, history teachers and English teachers or, or literature teachers uh, spend a lot of time with students working on. That's going to be true whether it's um, conflict or climate mm-hmm. uh, or health matters, that um, we would hope that, uh, that, that, that the first thing they do is question the source. The hard part is that. The, the darker forces in the world, whether they be Holocaust deniers, climate deniers, you, you know, they have a very simple message that yes. resonates in a time of change. And right now, I think that the context that we are having these discussions in is, is, is huge. It's an age of globalization. It's an age of mass migration. Historically, these have been triggers for humanity. Good people um, that often feel scared. And those fears are stoked by, you know, these forces that will use that anxiety for their own political benefit. Mm -hmm. This is, again, this is political science. This isn't a new realization, but it's our time now. It's our context and it's happening. So again, all roads lead back to teacher training. You were were actually saying that in in your intervention at the conference, you were speaking about patterns and the warning signs Mm -hmm. and how they are the same, basically. And with different technologies in a different different context, Mm -hmm. the mechanism, the mechanics of it, is very similar. It's yeah. it's um, appealing to fear, appealing to anxiety, and, and using the media. It's one of what, yeah. the the the, um, the obfuscation of, of media, the use of propaganda, mm-hmm. um, is by itself a warning sign. The lack yeah. of transparency in in information, mm-hmm. um, and you see it in in all of the examples that we've been talking about. Yeah.
Absolutely. And you know, again, you know, how do how do we use this knowledge to examine our own curriculums? One thing that we hear from history teachers around the world is how overloaded their curriculum is with irrelevant facts. Mm -hmm. Just because something's happened in the past doesn't make it relevant. Exactly. All right. So meanwhile, our our classes are cluttered with you know facts about you know the Chinese dynasties and you know. Greco-Roman history, that's all important in some contexts. But we're not preparing kids to be history teachers or English teachers. We're preparing them to be citizens. And the number one thing, democracies are glorious, but we know they could be corrupted. Mm-hmm. So are we, are we hitting those kids at a young age um, with, with, with these con, you know, concerns uh, and you know, uh, looking at democracy and how it could be corrupted? We do this successfully with health. Every 10-year-old every knows not to smoke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, every five-year-old knows how to recycle, and that happened because of education. Mm-hmm. And you know, I always say that if you throw a water bottle out, um, you know, around your grandchildren, they'll yell at you. Why? Mm-hmm. Because their kindergarten teachers taught them that, and it was a widespread effort to make sure that recycling and smoking, um, you know, should be a focus. What about what about democracy, Christina? Yeah, and human right? rights. What about human rights? I want, I want, uh, when I, hopefully I'll have grandchildren someday. I want my five-year-old granddaughter to say, Grandpa, there's some people in the boats in, in the Mediterranean. What's going on with that? Right? Mm. But they, she also needs, I would hope that my granddaughter be also can, can uh, smell a demagogue from a mile away. And shouts at the yep. rooftops because of it. When we think about teacher training, and Drew, Drew has talked yep. about the warning signs, mm-hmm. that there are also, also are uh, predictable patterns in recovery mm-hmm. uh, that come from a, a, a common set of, of avenues. So, mm-hmm. um, so we might be thinking about uh, the first one that comes to mind is aid. You know, mm-hmm. what are we doing mm-hmm. for the people that are in the boats in the Mediterranean mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. at the border? In, in the desert, yeah. uh, as the case may be, um, but it's also advocacy. It's speaking up. How much are we? How much are we speaking for? We'll, we'll use a term from Dr. Seuss's "The Lorax" and say, "Who speaks for the trees?" It also can be being involved in policy making. Um, I know we're we're seeing a lot of policy shifts in the United States, and I, that we would like to see improved on, mm-hmm. changed, or to hold on to the good policies that we've had in place without having them altered. Mm-hmm. Um, our systems of justice, whether it's international justice or local justice, that, that when things have occurred, that there's accountability. Yeah. And, and finally, that uh, when all else fails, that the rest of the world, you know, that, they'll, that if you put out the, the bat signal, mm-hmm. that we'll get boots on the ground and people will show up uh, yeah. to protect the civilians. In this whole process, unions, education unions. They play a huge role. Exactly. They do. And it's one thing that I'm especially proud of that um, my uh, larger teacher organization that I have the privilege of belonging to, the American Federation of Teachers, the New York State United Teachers, um, they've, they put a, a big emphasis under the, the leadership of, of Randy Weingarten and Pat Kiefer and Eric Duncan uh, of creating the teachhumanrights.com website that showcases a bunch of teacher-ready resources mm-hmm. that were made by teachers for teachers. You know, all too often we yeah. get these resources, and I won't name any companies or organizations, <laughs> but they're not teacher-friendly. Yeah. Teachers are busy. They need stuff that's two clicks away. Um, so on that website, teachhumanrights.com, 
there are ready-made lessons for educating uh, students for democracy, um, uh, refugees, restorative practices, youth activism, you know, genocide prevention, human trafficking, the whole panoply of human rights, um, you know, resources are there. Um, and, you know, we, we talk a lot about um, how the Internet's been corrupted, um, but the Internet has also been a magnificent source of teacher training. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the reasons we um, started the I Am Syria program, which is www.iamsyria.org, which has, you know, teacher-ready resources on the conflict, uh, and more importantly, not just admire that problem, but to give kids and teachers the resources to do to be part of the worldwide solution. Mm-hmm. So uh, we feel really, really uh, proud about those things. But in, in the sense, uh, you know, the, these messages aren't about us. They're about training the next generation. EI as a whole, Education International as a whole, as you know, last year there was the Education International uh, World Congress in Bangkok. Mm-hmm. And one of the resolutions that was hugely popular approved Uh, with a standing ovation was the resolution on democracy and the fact Mm -hmm. that teachers must take the lead and uh, make sure education for democracy, education for human rights is mainstreamed and is is made a priority. And this conference we just attended in, in, um, in Krakow is part of that. There will be another conference later on this year in, in the U.S. That's fantastic. Yes, and uh, others other events are coming. So it's all about teacher training. It's all about sharing experiences and ideas and also the motivation because in some countries it can get pretty desperate. And, the, and that conversation leads right back to the Holocaust, doesn't it? Mm-hmm, exactly. Because we, we view the uh, Holocaust as we should, uh, you know, as a reflection of the rise of anti-Semitism. The Holocaust happened because of corruption of democracy. That's an enduring issue. The ancient Greeks warned about demagogues, mm-hmm. right? And it caught the world flat-footed in 1933. It doesn't have to now. Exactly. And so I'm really, I'm really glad to hear uh, EI's commitment to that. Um, and, you know, we, we need then just to have a, in United States history terms, a Marshall Plan, a moonshot, uh, uh, you know, you, you name your historical metaphor here um, of massive doses of teacher training uh, mm-hmm. for, for teachers around the planet. Because now with the rise of the internet, populism and hate travels very quickly and corrupts all our societies. But we are up for the test. We're ready for it, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. Kate, Drew, and uh, thank you to our listeners for joining us.